0: I love that saying, I told you in that first message that D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that he did not intend to keep. God never made a promise that he did not intend to keep. And by the way, let me just compliment you for being here early and on time on the Sunday morning when we lose an hour of sleep. I'm looking at you and none of you look sleepy. That's either because you're really good at hiding it or you went to bed an hour early last night. But I want you to know God made a promise for us as we gather in His presence that He will be here in the midst of us, and He will encourage and strengthen us as we worship Him. Herman Lockyer said that God made over 7,500 promises in the Bible. I recommended that book to you by him, all the promises of the Bible. You and I will never exhaust, we will never outlive the promises of God. Some of us have lived on several of those promises that have been prevalent in our lives throughout the years of our life. We looked at the fact that some of those promises are conditional. Some of those promises are covenantal. That means covenantal promises. God is going to keep His Word to you no matter what you do or don't do. God's going to keep His Word to you because of covenant You want to know more about that, listen to that first message. The second was conditional promises, that there are some promises that God makes that will take place in your life when you meet the condition of the promise. For instance, if we tithe, the Bible says, or if we give like we just did, that God would open the windows of heaven. I was recently studying, because I'm preparing for a series later in the year on the book of Malachi in our midweek services, I was studying for that, and and when I clicked on that word in my thesaurus... Not my thesaurus, my concordance to, to open the windows of heaven. It's the exact same word in Genesis used in the flood. And so when God's saying he's going to open the windows of heaven, he will flood his blessings upon you. He will rebuke the devourer. He will provide. That's a conditional promise if we're faithful to him and put him first in our finances. The promises we looked at, they have substance. They're more real than this table line behind or the pews you're sitting in. Because everything materially that we experience in our world, God spoke it into existence. And so from the realm of the Spirit, we must understand that those that have died in Christ, Jesus said, you err when you speak about the dead, for God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. I've done a lot of funerals recently, and at those funerals, I remind every single family, your loved one who died in faith in Jesus Christ is not dead. Their bodies quit working. We buried their body, but they are more alive and more real in the presence of God now than they've ever been before. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? That's a covenantal promise, but it has substance. The next thing I wanted you to know about promises is is, that you inherit them. Those promises belong to you. You inherit them now. Many of them are not, most of them are not about what happens in the sweet by and by, but they're about how we live our lives so we can live for Jesus' effective lives now. I want to talk to you this morning about how God promises you the Holy Spirit. God promises you the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think in light of this this morning. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, read this with me. It should be up on the screen. The Spirit gives life. Read that again. The Spirit gives life. Now look at your neighbor and just, if you know your neighbor, just look at your neighbor and tell them that. The Spirit gives life. Now, the Spirit gives life, not just in creation, but the Spirit gives life to you and I to live now, for life that we need now. I think that what the Bible is saying here, and I hope to be able to point this out in this message, is the Spirit gives life to people who go hard after the things of God. A few months ago, maybe two or three months ago, we were in a Sunday morning service, and I noticed something different that Sunday morning. People all over the sanctuary had their hands lifted high. They were going hard after God in worship. We had a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. God responds to our worship. You know, it's kind of like you, when you come home and when your children are jumping and grabbing and hugging, you respond to that if you're a loving father or a loving mother. Or when you come home and your wife or your husband throws her arms around you, gives you a big hug or kiss, you respond to that if you have any life in you. If you're not, we'll go ahead and preach your funeral already. You know, you're dead already. But we respond, we go hard after things that we respond to. This morning, earlier this morning in my devotions, I was singing worship songs, and all of a sudden a song started coming out of my mouth, and I stopped it because I said, Lord, that's not a worship song. But then it started coming again. I stopped it again. I said, Lord, that's not a worship song. I was singing one of Glenn Campbell's old songs, and I need you more than want you, and I want you for all time. And you know the rest of it, the Wichita (laughs) lineman. And I was like, Lord, that's not a worship song. But all of a sudden, it was like, that's so true. I need him more than I want him, and I want him for all time. What was happening to me was my soul was responding to the move of the Spirit of God upon my life. This is not a dead faith. We are alive in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit gives us new life every single day of our lives. Can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. There are some things that we just simply know. We know we're forgiven. We know we're justified. We know we're adopted. And many times for Christians, those truths no longer move us, but it's what the cross is all about. But what I find most of the time in my personal work one-on-one with people in prayer and counseling is that what is true of them about their justification, about their adoption, what is true of them is different than what they're experiencing. What is true of them is different than what they're experiencing in life. And I'd really like you to ask yourself this question this morning. Are you experiencing what is really true about you in life? The word flow has become a popular word in the last few years. Businesses talk about flow. In psychology, we talk about flow. Even in churches, there's a talk about flow. As I've thought about that word, flow, and tried to just think about that through the years to really get a grappling meaning for what that means as us as Christians, so we're not importing business models into the church, and we're not importing psychological models into the church, but we're looking at what the Bible says about flow. I think what the Bible is saying, and if you can disagree with me on this if you want, but you really need to show me why you're disagreeing. I think what the Bible means about flow is it's that flow of the Holy Spirit through our lives for what's true of us, we're experiencing every day of our life. That we're not just confessing a doctrinal truth, we're not just confessing one of our statement of faith truths, but we are actually experiencing what it means to be adopted as a child of God, to be forgiven of our sins, to be set free from our sins, to have a vision and a purpose and a mission in our life, that we are flowing in the mainstream of what God has for us. Jesus said these words, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For in the Scriptures declare, rivers of living water will, what does it say? Flow from his heart. Say that with me again. Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into glory. And so what was Jesus saying? On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was given to the church, suddenly there would be this river of life flowing out of each and every one of us, bringing life to others, bringing life to you, bringing fruit and refreshing Bringing wholeness and healing to the nations as we walk in the flow of the Spirit of God in our lives. Recently, I was visiting with someone and praying with someone that's in hospice care. Their son told me, he said, you know, pastor, I recently asked my mom in the last few days, she can't talk anymore, but what's the first thing you're going to ask Jesus when you get to heaven and he said she couldn't speak, but you could tell she was thinking, her eyes, she, she smiled, she was thinking about it. As we talked about heaven for a few moments and talked about his mother's life and what a blessing she's been to this congregation, what a blessing she's been to my children as they were growing up, a blessing to many of the young adults in this congregation and to children in this church, we talked about the flow of what God was doing in life and Then I looked at him, and I says, you know, I can tell you the first question I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven, and he says, why is that? I says, "Is why adolescence? I mean, why adolescence? Why do we go from that time of when we're children, and our mom and dad know everything in our eyes, and everything is pretty good in our homes, and then we become teenagers, and we just don't realize how dumb we really are? And we think we're smarter than our parents and our teachers and everything else. And you might be thinking, Pastor, why flow? Well, why does this, what does it have to do with flow? Well, I'll tell you why. Because as a young pastor, I went to my parents one day, took Becky with me, and I said, you know, I could be such a hard hit. I was so bitter about being crippled. I was so bitter about the things going on in my life. And, I said, I just want to go and apologize to my mom and dad. So, we called my mom and dad. We had dinner. We went back, and I said, let's go back to your bedroom. You know, that's where we had all of our talks. If you ever got called to the bedroom, you knew you was either going to get blessed or blessed out one. Do you you know what I'm saying? One of the two things was going to happen, and so they have a nice sitting area that leads out onto their screen porch, and so we we were sitting there. Becky and I were sitting on the sofa. Mom and dad were sitting in two easy chairs they have there, and And I said, I just want to apologize and went through the whole deal. And all of a sudden, my dad just started smiling. And he says, son, we expected that when you were born. We knew that one day you would be an idiot like we were. (laughs) I mean, what my dad was telling me, I didn't love you any less when you were a teenager than I loved you when you were seven years old. I didn't love you any less. My flow of my love, my flow of my commitment, my flow of my care to you My flow of your being my son wasn't any less when you were 15, 16, 17. It wasn't any less than it was when you were six and seven years old. Tears formed in his eyes, and suddenly I learned something more from my dad than just in that moment. But I realized in what the Father in heaven was telling me through my dad. And if you didn't have a good dad, maybe this is hard for you to relate to. But what the Father was telling me through my dad that day is whether you're good or whether you're bad, my love, my covenantal promise does not change. You are my son, you are my daughter. That's called living in the flow. Can we give him another hand of praise for that this morning? You see, the key, number one, is recognizing that the promise of the Holy Spirit, He is always present with me. He's always present with me. I miss my dad. I miss being able to call him most evenings like I did. He was a constant in my life. He was a constant to be able to call and talk to. Now my sons call me And I have those conversations with them. Go home and have my conversations with Ben and Amy. And we talk. And there's this constant that I realize the roles have changed in our life. Sometimes my sons will call to tell me good things that are happening. To ask me to pray with them. Or to ask me my advice on something. And I realize that what I'm experiencing now is what my dad was experiencing with me. Even as a young pastor and a father. It's what Jesus said in John 14, verse 16, if you'll read along with me. I will ask the Father, He will give you another comforter, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version because I really want you to get this word. That word comforter is not like what's on your bed, but the amplification of that in Greek is counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. Now look at this pastor right here in the eye. I want to say two things. I love you. I really love you. My question is, are you experiencing this, or is this a truth that you just know? Because there's a big difference between knowing it and experiencing it. God is your counselor, your helper, your intercessor, your advocate, your strengthener, and your standby, that he may remain with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, the world can't welcome, the world can't take it to heart, because it does not see him, or know, or recognize him. But you know and recognize him, for the Holy Spirit, he lives with you constantly, and will be with you, and I will not leave you as orphans. Do you get that? You are not orphaned this morning. Circle that word in your outline. I talked to my father-in-law, who was an orphan, many times about what it meant to be an orphan. I have recordings where he let me record him talking to me about what it meant to be an orphan, to want a father, to want a mother, to want a home to belong to, what it felt like not to have a home, how he wished that he'd had a dad to model for him how to be a dad, how he wished that he'd had a, someone to model for him to how to have a marriage. Brothers and sisters, this morning, God has not left us his orphans orphans. We are loved. We are adopted. And there is a flow in this family that we get to live in because of the promised presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of every one of us who named the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You're not an orphan. Secondly, the Holy Spirit helps me to know God better. The Holy Spirit helps me to know God better. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything. God is teaching you. Now look at me. The Holy Spirit is teaching you through this message this morning. The Holy Spirit is helping you understand through this message. I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I believe that He's led me to prepare and write this message. I believe that He's not only led me and prepared, but it's 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 faithful to His Word. Now you have to be good Bible students and go home and go. Well, we trust Pastor and we believe Pastor, but let's just be sure. Let's trust but verify. Okay, let's trust but verify. That's what mature Christians do. So the Holy Spirit will teach you everything, will remind you everything I told you. He will guide you into all truth and He will tell you about the future. God has led you this morning in prayer, as Pastor Corey led us in prayer. God has, recognized, has led you this morning in confession. As Pastor Corey asked you to bow your heads and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and bring anything that maybe you needed to confess to the Lord and give that to Him. God has led you in worship this morning as we've sang to Him and we've been reminded of His promises and His presence. God has led you in a lifestyle of generosity as you have been faithful to obey and tithes and offerings into given mission. And now God is leading you into a closer relationship with Him by helping you to know Him better through the Word. I love my precious wife. I love her with all my heart. I'm still learning things about her. Sometimes we get home and we sit in the car because we don't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation and we finish the conversation in the driveway. There's a nice living room inside. There's a nice place to sit down. There's coffee waiting to be drank. But right then we're in the flow of something. And so God has brought you here and He's teaching you. I learn more about her and hopefully she learns more about me. In verse number three, the Holy Spirit helps me live out God's mission for my life. I mean, God has a purpose for every life in here. God has a purpose for every church in our community, and God has a purpose for your life and my life. And I need His help to live out that mission. When I was learning to walk, and I had all of these apparatuses and braces on me, and I had to hold on to these things and walk alongside of them, there were people there on either side of me to help me. My hips had been broken. They had been turned around. I had the holes in my side. You can still put your fingers in where they broke them and turned them and my legs around. And I had to learn to use muscles that had never been used before. I had to learn to use joints that had never been used before. And I had to be, and people were helping me. As I got older and my dad would take me out to walk in a field and help me, I was pretty big before I could ride a bicycle. My dad would trot alongside of me, holding that bicycle up so I could learn to ride a bicycle. As I got stronger, my dad would take me, he called it trotting, we call it jogging now, but he would take me trotting through the pecans orchards, and and I'd get exhausted. We'd stop, and we'd rest, and Daddy would run with a quart jar of water. We didn't have Contigo bottles and things like that in those days. And he'd say, here, have a drink of water. And he'd put the mason lid back on, and then we'd trot some more through the pecan orchard. My dad was teaching me. He was helping me get ready and get strong. Oftentimes, I couldn't keep up with my dad, and I'd watch him. And dad would slow down, and he'd let me catch up. The thing he didn't do was pick me up and carry me because I had to get strong. I had to learn. I couldn't keep up with dad, and at times that really bothered me, and I wanted to, I wanted to be more like him. And then in school I checked out a book on Teddy Roosevelt, and I found out that our president Roosevelt was crippled and well not crippled, but very weak and very sick and asthmatic and what he did. And so I I I began to 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 try to exercise like he did and get stronger. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I did not understand, listen. I did not understand flow, and I didn't understand the Holy Spirit, even though I grew up in a, in a wildly Pentecostal church. I did not understand flow and living in the Spirit. I thought it was all about me doing my best to go after the things of God. I thought it was me about working hard, trying hard, Exerting physical effort to go after God. And so I took those same mentalities that daddy was teaching me how to get stronger. And so I was trying to do all the right things and the right works. And if I did everything right, then I'd get stronger. But I found out there was no flow in that. I was frustrated. Then I decided when I got to Bible college, and I began to learn some things, and I took a course called pneumatology, and all of a sudden I knew everything there was to know about the Holy Spirit, and I took pneumatology, and I decided it was a mindset, and if I just just could say the right things, believe the right things, and I've learned that all of those things were wrong, it took me years to really understand, living a Spirit-filled life was relying on the resources that God has already put in us by the presence of His Holy Spirit. I needed to learn how to walk. I needed to learn how to run to become strong physically and to become strong emotionally. But the things of the Spirit are not accomplished by our self-will. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it is by My spirit, saith the Lord. And those of you that are going through the book of Zechariah with me on midweek services, you're going to see that in just a few weeks. There are resources. Listen to what John York, missiologist, said. God's plan to bless the nations is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's through the church. So listen to what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There is a flow of power going through the power lines that come into this church. There's a flow of power going out through the however this live stream works on YouTube and and Facebook. There is a flow of power, though, in the Spirit of God that happens in our life that Jesus says you will receive. You're not going to exhaust it like a battery. You're not going to exhaust it like a a, a power failure like we have here in Detroit sometime. You don't have to have a brownout. You don't have to blackout. God's love never changes, and the Holy Spirit is ever-present with you. If there's a disconnection in the flow in your life, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. God says you are His Son, you are His child. You need to rely on the resources of grace and love and peace and joy that are inside you through Jesus Christ this morning. That's your inheritance. The Bible then goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. And there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Read this last sentence with me. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Read that again. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. God's given each of us a spiritual gift to serve Him with. God gives us gifts as we need them to do His work. You have to receive them. You have to ask God. You have to let God give them to you. There is a gift in my study here at the church for a family in this church that is yet to receive the gift. It's been here since Christmas. It's been here since Christmas, but they haven't been able to get the gift. And we haven't been able to get it to them. They know there's a gift, but they haven't come and gotten that gift yet. You see, there are gifts for you, and they're all available to you. They may not be the dominant gift in your life, let me let me just take one of them. It's not the dominant gift in my life, and I know it's a controversial gift, but it's the gift of praying in the Spirit. It's the gift of, I, I pray in the Spirit every day of my life. I don't understand what I'm saying. The Bible says that he that prayeth that way is not speaking to men, but they're speaking to God. So I don't get up here and speak in tongues to people, but as I pray, I pray in the Spirit. It's a very intimate thing. I go into my prayer closet and I pray that way. Sometimes there's this longing for God that it's kind of like singing that Glenn Campbell song. I know it didn't make sense. I know that's not what the song is about, but those particular lyrics express my heart this morning. I want God for you. I want God for my family. I want God for me. And I want Him, but I need Him more than I want Him. You need Him more than I want Him for you. And I hope this morning you want him, but I want you to recognize you need him more than you're wanting him this morning. There's gifts of healing. That's not the dominant gift in my life. But I've been so thankful for the people that I prayed for that I've seen healed, they're gifts of mercy. They're all available for the time that you need them, but God has given you a specific gift. Your gift may be serving. Your gift may be leadership. Your gift may be uh, public speaking. There's all kinds of gifts. Your gift may be an art, but God has given you this gift. Let me back up for just a moment. Look again, and I don't know if you can do this. I don't want to confuse the team in the back, but if you could go back to John York's uh, quote, God's plan to bless the nations through the gospel of Jesus Christ that's for you to have the power that you need to serve the Lord with because God's resources are available to you. I've got to move on because it's time to close and get ready for the next service. But number four, the Holy Spirit shows me my need for God. And what I really wanted you to see this morning in this message, of all the promises I could preach upon, and I will be preaching through a lot of them, This one is the second one. I wanted you to know the promise of heaven. But I want you to know the promise of the Holy Spirit because no one but the Holy Spirit can help you understand your need for God. Douglas Copeland, for those of you that have tried to keep up with culture, you know that he's the author that coined the term Generation X. You know that Douglas Copeland was one of those that was at the forefront of writing about postmodernism that has really impacted maybe your children and grandchildren more than you're aware of. But Douglas Copeland made a confession in one of his books. And I gotta be honest with you, it just kind of smacked me right between the eyes. He said, I've got a secret that I wanna share with you. And he said, I hope you're in a quiet place and I hope you're in a quiet room And he's writing these words, and I hope you will sit down and listen to what I'm saying. I need God. I need God to help me with my fears. I need God to help me with my insecurities. I need God to show me how to love. I need God to show me how to be gracious. I need God to show me how to forgive. I need God to show me how to serve. I need God to show me how to live. And when I read that honest confession from someone that had not been a friend, suddenly I realized I need to pray for Douglas Copeland because here is a man that the Holy Spirit is beginning to move upon his heart. He's beginning to wear down that hardness that misunderstanding. Becky and I have been watching with fascination a new series that Will Smith has on the National Geographic channel as they explore unseen parts of the world. Watching as water falls as they slow down the speed of the water falling and show you how the water has eroded rocks and carved canyons. It's just fascinating photography and Narration by scientists and geologists and others that know all about this stuff. They showed one waterfall that years ago I climbed Iguazu Falls. I was taking three teams to Paraguay to plant three different churches to put in clinics and and I'd flown down there, and it was a difficult trip for me because. Paraguay is not a modern country. Places we were going were not a modern country and I had to carry a lot of extra stuff for me to be able to to be back in those parts of the nation and the Chaco that I was in. So about three or four days before we came home, the missionary says, I want you to see one of the wonders of the world. One of the seven natural wonders of the world. I want you to see Iguazu Falls. I'd bought a big guy that I had mentored with me from Georgia and we went and we went out on the boardwalk and we looked at all the falls and this is where the movie, the mission was made and then the Guadani Indian that was going to be the pastor of one of the churches that we were planting, he said to Phil, the missionary, Phil's in heaven now, but he said to Phil, he says, let's take pastor to the top of the waterfall. As Guadani Indian, he could do that. And I said, no. I said, I, I can't do that. He goes, oh, no, you've got to climb it. I, I said, I can't. I'm not physically able to do that. I've never done anything since more rugged than what I did that day. My friend, this big football player, Jock, he wouldn't do it. The Guadalajara Indian looked at me. He says, Pastor, we'll take you up the falls. I said, you can't do that. He goes, we take it. The Indians are short. So we climbed these slippery rocks, high water thundering all around us, the spray. Incredible wildlife and parrots. We'd get to places, and that little Indian would climb right up those rocks, and then he'd lay on his belly over the rock, and he'd reach over, and he'd grab my hands. So strong literally would just pull me over those rocks my clothes were ripped halfway up he said we rest now and he found a place in the crevice of those rocks and he he put one foot here on a big rock and one foot here on a big rock and he leaned back and the flow and the fall of that water he said now pastor you do it it will refresh you like i'm not doing that I'll go over that waterfall. You've been doing that all your life. He says, "I help you." So Phil holds for one part of me, and they put my hand and my feet. It was refreshing. It was cold, but it was painful as well. Blood was washing off. Dirt was washing off. I don't know if you believe in this kind of thing, but I did a primal scream that would embarrass you. You say, "I don't know him. He is not my pastor." And then we finished that climb, and we got to the top. And I'm looking out. He goes, I told you it worth it. It wasn't the view from the top. It was the journey up. It was the knowledge that I needed. You see, the Spirit will come. And show the people of the world the truth about sin and God's justice and the judgment. Look at that again. The Spirit will come and show the people of this world the truth about sin and God's justice and the judgment. How's God going to do that? He's going to do that through you. He's going to do that as you go back home, Noah. Anna, as you go back home and You're getting ready to get married. He's going to do that through you and your fiance that I can't remember his name right now, but good looking dude. He's going to do that through you. Not that you're going to convict people, not that you're going to condemn people, but you're going to help people. You're going to answer their questions. You're going to walk with them. You're going to pull them up at times. You're going to lift them up to God in prayer. You're going to intercede for them. And the Holy Spirit may at times, and you won't even understand it, you'll go, it's a groan, it's a moan. I didn't understand what I was praying, Pastor, but I was praying for Bill or Sally or Mary. And suddenly, I didn't understand. That's your soul crying out for them. Your need for God because I don't want you just to know the truth about who you are, I want you to flow in the truth of who you are. And if God can use me, God will use you because God never made a promise he did not intend to keep. Would you stand with me this morning and let me pray for you. Jesus, we are in your presence this morning. And I want so desperately for all of us, Lord, to live in that flow. God, it may take time, but that flow, Lord, where it's not a mindset, it's not, we're we're not trying in the work of of our self-will to be the right kind of Christian, but we're just simply relying, you live within us. There's grace, there's peace, there's forgiveness, there's power, there's hope. There's 7,500 promises for us to live upon. And So I'm asking you now in the name of Jesus for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Every eye closed, no one looking around, but would you just lift your hands up to the Lord? Would you just make an altar right there where you're standing and say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your grace. Fill me with your power. Come on, lift your hands. Don't just stand there, but lift them up and say, Lord, I want you. Lord, fill me afresh and anew. I want to live in the flow of what you're doing today. So right now, if if you need the ability to forgive, would you ask Him, say, Lord, help me forgive. If you need hope, just say, Lord, help me to live again with hope. Hope is based on the character and the promises and the goodness of God. If you need healing this morning, just say, Lord, I'm asking you to heal me. He doesn't love you anymore, whether you're good or whether you're bad. He loves you. He doesn't love you anymore whether you're strong or whether you're weak. He just loves you. He's your Father. And now, would you just pray one more prayer? Say, Holy Spirit, would you flow through me so that others will see their need for God in Jesus Christ this week? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I need you more than I want you. And right now, what I'm experiencing inside says, I want you for all time. So please forgive my sins. And I invite you into my heart for it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May you feel God's smile and favor in everything you do. And may you live and flow in the Holy Spirit this week. And it's in Jesus' name I pray that over you. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.